0: Every life is a story. Some are bestsellers. I'm Chuck.
1: I'm Karen.
0: And this is Spy Stories.
1: Today we meet Sarah Emma edmonds Seely. She was a spy, and this... Is her story? Emma entered the world in New Brunswick, Canada, on December of 1841. Emma's parents were Isaac and Elizabeth Edmonds. Isaac was a Scottish immigrant who was pretty mired in the harsher, more misogynist interpretation of cultural honor, and he did not treat his young Irish bride with respect or kindness.
0: And uh, coming from an Irish mother, that seems like a very poor idea.
1: I would say that that. That's probably very true. Well, Isaac was hoping for a brood of really hardy young men, but instead ended up with a succession of girls. When his only son, Thomas, was born, Isaac pinned all of his manly hopes on him.
0: Oh, no pressure there, Thomas. Right. I I wanted a bunch of boys and I got girls, so you're going to have to make up for my disappointment. Oh, It's all on your shoulders here so
1: right that's not a therapy bill waiting to happen yeah and isaac felt profound disappointment when the boy exhibited medical fragility and a sensitive and dreamy nature isaac who was a farmer by trade took his ire out over this perceived injustice on the entire family in the form of both physical and emotional abuse historians suggest that thomas was epileptic but this is just a suggestion, since epilepsy didn't really start to be considered as a diagnostic possibility in Canada until the 1890s. Nonetheless, Thomas was unable to assist his father the way that Isaac planned, and so Isaac branded the boy of no use.
0: And not literally, he didn't literally brand him, but no. <laughs> he just said, you, you're of no use to me, boy. And, you know, who of us hasn't heard that before? Um, so,
1: probably a lot of people actually
0: Yeah, a lot of boys a lot of boys have heard that and you know what my guess with this kid is what he was just malingering i mean the, could be yeah the dude had to do the work of five boys
1: right you know
0: he didn't have epilepsy he was having sun strokes out there with isaac driving him all day
1: yeah yeah well this was the fantastic environment that emma the last child was born into Isaac did not believe that women should be educated. So he just attempted to marry all of his daughters off just as quickly as he could. And he liked to do this for a pretty high price.
0: Sounds like an honorable guy. And if you weren't a parent, you would go to jail for that.
1: Yeah. So as Emma's sisters left the home one by one, the daily chores fell to the young girl who consistently showed herself to be of strong body and even stronger mind. Emma also took the role of caretaker for her brother Thomas. Her appreciation for his gentle nature and her patience with his physical limitations played a vital role in the incredibly empathetic woman that she would grow up to be. No doubt it was Thomas's face Emma saw reflected in the faces of the men she comforted through the horrors of war. Emma was a girl with unbridled energy and a very keen sense of adventure. When she was nine, a traveling salesman found the precocious young girl a delight and he gifted her with a book about Fanny Campbell, a teenage girl who disguised herself as a man and became a pirate to save her own fiance. The story sparked the imagination of Emma And gave her a different perspective of what a woman could accomplish and helped her to accept her individuality outside the role expected of her. Unbeknownst to her father, Emma also began academic studies through the women at her church. And this added to her already impressive skill set. At 15, Emma started noticing the young men at church. And some of them started hanging about the farm and she ended up developing some pretty close friends. One of those friends was a kind young man named Linus who appreciated really everything about Emma and not just what would make her an acceptable wife. Emma also noticed the creepy glances of the widower neighbor who was known throughout the community as someone the young ladies pretty much wanted to stay away from.
0: Every neighborhood's got that creepy neighbor that you want to stay away from,
1: yeah, hopefully you're not the creepy neighbor in your situation. The,
0: I or... try not to be, but
1: yeah. I probably
0: I'm just the crazy or weird neighbor that but we give out good Halloween candy, so I got a pass
1: well that's that's what matters most. So the neighbor who went by pudge gotta wonder what that was about um eventually asked Isaac to marry Emma. And Isaac agreed if the price was right. And the horrified Emma began to plot her escape.
0: So he's negotiating for Emma.
1: Right, right. I mean, I
0: wonder how this works. So if especially if you're Emma sitting there, the guy that's getting Emma's trying to lowball her, like, no, she's not that great a cook. And then <sighs> the dad's building her up even though he's even though the dad's mistreated her all this time. Now he's talking about what a great find she is. And if you're the guy marrying her, what are you going to say? No, she's she's not really that pretty. I think she's only $200 worth. I can't even
1: imagine. That's just
0: n- No, I'm I'm just horrible. thinking what did those negotiations look like?
1: Right, right. Well, Emma's mother, wanting better for her daughter than her own situation, helped organize Emma's first attempt at freedom. Elizabeth arranged for her daughter to escape to Salisbury where she lived with a family friend and worked making ladies hats within a year still a teenager she was a co-owner of a millinery shop
0: a lady they make ladies hats there
1: they do they if do. they
0: made men's hats you know what they would call it what a haberdashery
1: well look at that yeah. the more you know well isaac eventually discovered where emma was And violently demanded.
0: (laughs) Violently demanded. He showed up at her door and then just threw himself down on the hallway floor and started kicking his feet and
1: pounding the floor. Yeah. yeah,
0: at At the grocery store.
1: When Isaac threw this little temper tantrum, Emma, aided by her friend Linus, who was rumored to have provided Emma's very first suit, decided to assume the persona of a man in order to escape the area undetected. And then she immigrated to the United States.
0: Back in those days, you could just wander in from Canada.
1: Well, Emma ended up in Hartford, Connecticut. After arriving in Hartford, Emma had some decisions to make. What was she going to do now? Emma was a woman of great faith, although her own idea of it was different than everyone else's, and she was more concerned with God's purpose for her rather than society's. So, with this in mind, after some prayer and some pragmatic deliberation, Emma decided to keep impersonating a man. In order to achieve this goal in a more realistic way, Emma sheared her long, dark hair, tanned her face with stain, and began to only wear men's clothing.
0: And the truth of it, really, if you think about it, back in those days, if you were on your own Mm -hmm. and alone, it was much easier to be a man.
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, she with what her father did to her, she felt completely useless as a woman. She only saw herself of use if she was a man. Right. So she didn't know what to call herself at first, but remembered advice that had been given to her once that she greatly appreciated that began with the introduction to be frank and decided to go with that, because that was really her take on life, viewing with frank observation what the best course of action was, so she decided to adopt that as her first name. In figuring out her new last name, she decided to honor her brother Thomas and dubbed herself Frank Thompson. Emma quickly discovered that freedom as a man was very, very different than life as a woman. And once she figured that out, she had absolutely no desire to give up her newfound liberty.
0: She could pee standing up.
1: (laughs) As she contemplated how she would make a living, she came across an ad for a Bible salesman. She remembered the impact of the traveling book salesman on her young life, and she knew the Bible extremely well given the fact that her early career ambition included being a Bible missionary. So she applied for the job. Got it. And proceeded to carry out her duties with passion and success. Her publishing company boss later claimed that of all the salesmen he'd hired over thirty years, no one ever outsold Frank Thompson.
0: You know what I think she did.
1: What do you think she did?
0: And this was in a, an article I read about her. She would use scare tactics. <laughs> she would like paint little pentagrams on the side of the house. She'd be like boogedy or-
1: boogedy. <laughs> Like yeah, or just, yeah.
0: she'd come up and say that she'd seen the kids doing crazy stuff and oh. say, you yeah, know, you could probably use a couple of Bibles in this house. Yeah. And then yeah. the people would be all freaked out. She'd leave a dead raccoon or something <laughs> on their porch with a candle. She
1: was or, pretty enterprising, so there's no telling what she did. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but eventually the Gideons put her out of business.
1: Well, by the fall of 1860, Emma had made her way to Flint, Michigan,
0: I hope she brought her own water.
1: Are you done? The war began in 1861. 20-year-old Emma faced a conundrum. As Frank, she was facing extreme peer pressure as all able-bodied men were signing up for duty. But if she went back as Emma, she was limited on what she could do for the war efforts, as well as just being limited in general, which she just wasn't going to do. So continuing on as Frank, she went to Detroit to answer the call for volunteers. At first yes.
0: And remember she was a she was very good on horseback and she was a very good shot.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, at first, five foot six inch Frank Thompson was turned away for being shy of the Army's height standard.
0: Weren't all people short back then? Five six seems like a pretty high bar. Pretty average for,
1: height, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, well, after President Lincoln's call for 75,000 troops, the height requirement was lowered, and a couple of weeks later, Emma tried again. She had to have been terrified because government regulations said, quote, In passing a recruit, the medical officer is to examine him stripped, To see that he has free use of all of his limbs, that his chest is ample, (laughs) that his Mm. hearing, vision, and speech are perfect, and so on. But so many people were joining up at that particular time that examination usually just involved a couple of taps here and there with the clothes on. Basically, the army just needed bodies, functioning eyes, some teeth, and enough fingers to pull a trigger.
0: What do you think the teeth count was? Yeah. How many many teeth did you actually have to have? I don't know. And did it matter if they were like your incisors, your front teeth, your molars? What did you... I wonder if...
1: Well, Emma's physical consisted of little more than answering a few basic questions and demonstrating a firm handshake.
0: Well, I could pass that physical. Yeah. It's like before they wanted Jim Thorpe, and I don't know if you know who Jim Thorpe is, but... I do. Mm -hmm. He was... Considered the greatest athlete of all time, and now you can just be a one-handed small person as long as you can give them a firm handshake with the other hand.
1: Well, there you go. They just wanted bodies. That's it. If you had teeth and fingers, that's all. Okay, so on May 25th, 1861, Emma proudly emerged onto the streets of Detroit as Private Frank Thompson Company F, 2nd Michigan Volunteer Infantry Regiment like most women from rural communities Emma was very strong possessed an understanding of the land and survival and unlike some of the city boy recruits that surrounded her was incredibly adept with weapons and horsemanship
0: and incredibly adept with weapons that's something you want to know about a girl because if you know if you're going to swipe right on her Tinder account If she's incredibly adept with weapons, you had better be incredibly adept at relationships.
1: (laughs) Well, every day had to be pretty stressful for Emma, always wondering if today would be the day that she would be found out. But thankfully, modesty standards of the time helped her to maintain her disguise. Emma could sleep fully clothed and bathe in undergarments. Can you imagine doing that now? Just bathing in undergarments?
0: I do that now. You don't?
1: The regiment was filled with hundreds of baby-faced boys in loose, frumpy uniforms, and all of this worked to the young soldiers' advantage. Still, if you take in what it took to go undetected, as all the clothing supplies waned and soldiers were only issued one pair of underwear, they were issued one pair. Even if that pair were long, it's still pretty incredible what Emma pulled off. Because she's well, my my guess is
0: she was not an especially matronly woman,
1: yeah. But you still want more than one pair of underwear, (laughs) yeah.
0: You would think so, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, yeah, I guess you would, yeah, yeah. I I didn't consider that
1: right. That's because men, men wouldn't really consider that, but I mean, if you really think about what she pulled off for as long as she did, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. So basic training in Washington was hectic and exciting and the young recruits were bursting with eager anticipation, but they had no real understanding of what awaited them. The tents they stayed in were seven by seven made to house two to four men. A lot of women soldiers, they were caught up at this stage. They weren't able to pass under such close quarters. And These guys didn't really have a lot of household skills, so someone who knew how to mend pants or wash dishes or could mend clothes, they kind of stood out. And with this in mind, Emma downplayed her domestic skills just as much as she possibly could. Her day started at 5 a.m. An early call at that time meant, conveniently for Emma, that soldiers tended to sleep in their clothes. Then they would have a quick breakfast, followed by endless drills and dress parades in the streets. So this was a civilian army, not a very professional one. And the commanders wouldn't let the soldiers have real bullets to practice with because they were afraid they would all end up killing each other.
0: They were like the Barney Fife of the infantry.
1: Right. But <laughs> em- got,
0: You get one bullet today, boys. Yeah.
1: But Emma showed herself to be as proficient as... And usually more often than those around her. So there were really plenty of reasons that she should have been caught. Her buddies jokingly called her our little woman because of her voice. And her feet were so small that the regulation boots wouldn't fit. So one thing that aided in her protection was that her tentmate, Damon Stewart, took Frank under his wing. And he assumed that Frank had lied about his age to get into the army which would explain his baby face and discomfort about swearing. And Damon's acceptance helped the other soldiers follow suit. So, although Frank regaled all of his titmates with stories as a ladies' man, his overt religiosity also helped dispel suspicion. True to Emma's actual nature, Frank was disdainful of all the brothel visits and drunken debauchery in the ranks. And religious reasoning although it, it, it was real for her, also provided a handy excuse to maintain modesty and exclusion when expedient. During training, Emma already started caring for others. About 30% of the army was sick before they even went into their first battle. Typhoid was picking soldiers off, but Emma did what she could to help. Every day, she waited for their marching orders to come. Finally, in July 1861, they came. Despite leaving with great fanfare, it was obvious to Emma that the army was still a disorganized, chaotic mess. Some of the soldiers would want to rest a lot, they would take off their boots, and they would leisurely start hunting for blackberries and just start talking. (laughs)
0: It's so like you have a whole a whole platoon of people with ADD, like, would you guys get back here and <laughs> right. get in line, come They're on. They're all
1: just munching blackberries and yeah. chatting. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. It's like nailing jello to the wall.
0: Well, I guess if you were marching onto a battle, you would march slowly and hope the battle was not there when you got there. That's oh, no, a legit sorry point. we were late for the battle. <laughs> you know?
1: that's, that's, that's legit. That's legit. They they were kind of blissfully unaware of what lay ahead of them. The Army had roughly 33 miles to travel, so in present automobile time, it would take us less than an hour, but by foot, at their pace, it took them several days. Finally, the 2nd Michigan found themselves at Bull Run, a stream near the vital railhead at Manassas Junction, Virginia, where Confederate troops were known to be converging. Within the week, young Emma was brutally initiated into the horror of war, standing shoulder to shoulder in the blue ranks. she withstood the trauma of howling artillery shells, slicing air rancid with death as broken weapons, blood, and body parts flew about her.
0: Now see you take out the artillery, and that's what we call thanksgiving at my house.
1: Wow, that sounds fun well. Yeah. The battle, which had begun at six in the morning, turned to a disaster by four in the afternoon, and Emma found herself pushing through the wreck of the retreating army. At a stone church that had been converted into an emergency field hospital, she encountered the horrific sight of fly-infested heaps of amputated limbs, mutilated flesh, and decaying bodies— And despite this assault on her sensibilities, she calmly volunteered to tend wounded and dying soldiers. She spent what time she could listening to dying declarations and confessions, and having no scissors, she would rip away blood-soaked clothes from wounds with her teeth. Finally, she was forced to leave them and hide in the brush to avoid being captured. Leaving the dying left a hole in Emma's heart that she spent a lifetime attempting to heal. Within weeks of the disastrous battle, President Lincoln appointed a new military commander, General George B. McClellan, who began whipping the disorganized mobs of soldiers into an army again. As the Northern Divisions regained their spirit, Emma also found a new confidence.
0: Now, McClellan, I would encourage people to look him up, he was kind of a lunatic. I mean, he had some great success... Uh, But he, after a while, I think became a little bit paranoid and always thought now his spies kind of kind of got him, too, because he always thought he was greatly outnumbered and was really hesitant to go into battle. And eventually Lincoln lost his patience with him and once said, if General McClellan isn't going to use his army, I'd like to borrow it for a time. And he actually ran against Lincoln for the presidency and lost.
1: Well, it was also during this time. That Emma made a, a really important friend, and that friend was Private Jerome Robbins. He was also part of the 2nd Michigan Infantry, though a different company, and they struck up a very intense conversation that really never ended. The two had common interests as well as common distaste for the immoral behavior of many of the troops, and their friendship was instant and it ran very deep. Emma, who had, due to the influence of her father, pretty much sworn off men, found herself drawn to Jerome, and in return, Jerome found himself drawn to Frank.
0: Hmm. Does this remind you of anything?
1: Yeah, I think we're approaching Yentl territory here.
0: There you go. That's what
1: it sounds like. So, Jerome wrote of his friend, often in his journal, and even noted that something seemed a little off- He wrote, He is an assistant in the hospital, and I think well able to win and repair the hearts of those about him. But then he added, A mystery seems to be connected with him. Hard to name. So the two spent more and more time together. Jerome ended up becoming a steward at the hospital and spent his spare time with his new friend. They attended Bible studies together. They went on long walks together. And they had spirited discussions and even napped together.
0: See, that seems peculiar in a…
1: In a platonic…
0: 1865 situation. I mean,
1: yeah. Um, Another notation in Jerome's diary read, I arose greatly refreshed after a good sound sleep on a couch with my friend Frank Thompson. (laughs) <laughs> the closeness that developed between the two began to wear on Emma, especially the more Jerome Robbins discussed his fiance back at home, and she finally revealed herself to him, despite the risk that her friend could turn her in and she could face death. In fact, he could face death, too, if he kept her secret and she was found out anyway. Historians suggest that there were approximately 400 women serving in the Civil War disguised as men
0: does that remember the monty python stoning scene (laughs) yeah (laughs) where all the women have fake mustaches and rocks that's what that made me think of there
1: many of those women professed their love to a soldier they served with discovering with happy surprise that their affections were returned wholeheartedly but emma was not one of those women jerome basically just freaked out he expressed his extreme angst But he never turned her in, and he actually wrote often in his journal of how deeply conflicted he was and how he missed his friend. But Emma only knew of his anger. She felt heartbroken and rejected and channeled those emotions into renewed vigor into her job.
0: And this this is kind of part of it I don't understand, really. Mm -hmm. It seemed like they kind of, that he kind of fell in love with her but then freaked out when he found out she was a woman.
1: Well, I'm sure that there was some other stuff going on there. I don't know. We don't know, but you know, I don't go into it so much in this, but he continuously writes to her later on. They never really talk um, or anything like that, but he does write to her and there's a constant kind of thing. Like she'll make little comments about how happy she is that he's going home and getting married and, He'll be like, really, are you are you really happy? And she's basically like, sure. <laughs> and so yeah. there was some some constant back and forth with that, that it, it never came to anything. But they obviously had a, a deeper connection on on any level. So, and it, it just sounds like he had some uh, just... Confused
0: inner, feelings. Right. To me, I, yeah, I, I some think. inner yeah. conflicts
1: happening, for sure. So... In 1862, as the army mobilized, Emma came under the command of Colonel Orlando Poe. Isn't that a fantastic name? That is. Orlando Poe. Okay. Her new commander gave her a new duty, and that was mail carrier. She got this job, Poe said later, because she was kind of effeminate, and he didn't want to take any strong-looking soldiers from the fighting ranks. What is that?
0: Yeah, but this was not an especially easy job, so...
1: No, but that's just, just so strong-looking. I mean, optics yeah. matter in war. I mean, well, on the Put the, the strong lines.
0: ones up where they can get shot and bring the small ones up here where, well, well they can get shot trying to deliver mail. It's yeah. ju-
1: it, it just seems very strange to me. So,
0: well, they were not as enlightened back then.
1: That That's true. Yeah. The only... The, Thank you, Chuck, for enlightening me now. What would I do without you doing that? Thank you so much. So the only way to spread the word was by letter or telegraph, which most soldiers wouldn't have had access to. So vital information was carried in the mail. Also, Emma was really great with horses, and her skill in that regard made her a great asset. Strangely, she ended up naming her horse Frank. So... She was Frank writing
0: frank, frank, writing Frank. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that was, that was her different. dog
0: was named Frank too.
1: <laughs> she was a creature of habit, obviously. So Emma routinely galloped 40 kilometers a day to pick up and bravely deliver bags of letters and packages. Once she rode through papers strewn about where Othello postmen had been ambushed and shot the day before.
0: And this is where I think she went wrong. And when you're this is a job tip from Chuck, (laughs) when you are interviewing for a job, always ask if the person you are replacing is still alive.
1: Words to live by.
0: Yeah. If you're if you're replacing a dead man, don't take the job or dead woman or dead woman. yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. So Emma successfully soldiered through the Great Virginia campaigns of 1862 including the bloodbaths at the Battles of Second Bull Run, Fredericksburg, and Antietam, where the Union regiments were battle-torn and savaged. At the bloody Battle of Antietam, Emma came across a young soldier, severely wounded in the neck and dying, as she leaned in to listen to the young soldier's last words The dying man confided that he was actually a female, enlisted as a man to be near her only brother, who had been killed earlier in the day. To protect the secret, according to the youth's dying wish, Emma buried her nearby, without coffin or shroud, only a blanket. This amazing woman, so practical, also carried within her the soul of a poet. Emma penned a poem, giving expression to her heartbreaking experience. She wrote, Her race is run, In southern clime she rests among the brave, Where perfumed blossoms gently fall, Like tears around her grave. No loving friends are near to weep, Or plant bright flowers there, But hurdlings chant a requiem sweet, And strangers breathe a prayer. She sleeps in peace, Yes, sweetly sleeps, Her sorrows are all o'er, with her the storms of life are past. She's found the heavenly shore. Whether her heart began to heal from the pain of Jerome's rejection, or if it just began to get callous from the horrors of war, you probably go with the callous, right?
0: I'm gonna go with the callousness. Yeah. She seems like a pretty hard person to begin with.
1: Uh, see, I don't I don't I don't agree. I think that she's actually very soft. Um, I think that she's just tough. You can be soft and tough at the same time. Right.
0: right? I, no, I think she's just a very hard woman who, I mean, she grew up with an abusive father. She left. She lived as a man. I mean, there was not much in life it seems like this woman could not handle. I don't know. So when I terrible things happen, she just I think looked she was at them.
1: adventurous more than hard. But I don't know. Well, Emma did eventually find herself able to get close to someone again. Feeling her heart begin to soften, she became close friends with a young chaplain named James, whom she had actually known back in Canada, but he didn't recognize her. While not proven, it's very, very likely that Emma eventually confided in the young man and perhaps even began to love him and even hope and start longing for a different life. Then, one day after completing her duty she returned to camp to find that her James was dead. And this this was a real breaking point for Emma. When she joined the army, she joined for many reasons. Some of those reasons were that she really truly believed in the cause against slavery. But now, with a sense of rage, she added vengeance to to the list. It's likely that this is what drove her to her acts of uh, sabotage. Sabotage. Sabotage as a spy. And during this time, Detective Alan Pinkerton was turning sabotage. Sabotage. Sabotage into a professional art, and the Union began utilizing soldiers for acts of espionage.
0: And think about this, going all the way back to the Civil War mm-hmm. and Pinkerton, mm-hmm. they were using military contractors back then.
1: That's interesting when you think of it like that. hmm Yeah. When a union agent was hanged for spying, Emma volunteered to take his place. Pick me. Pick
0: yeah, me. Yeah, once again check and see if the guy before you is still alive.
1: I kind of think at this point she sort of might she may have had like a suicide wish. Do you do you kind of get that vibe it's, here?
0: It's she either had a suicide wish or she just felt like I I think it was part that. I think she just felt like She was going to take whatever happened and she didn't really care. And she seemed like she had this sense of invincibility to her.
1: Yeah. She just
0: felt invincible.
1: I do think because she had kind of that spiritual revelation when she went in, you know, she made that decision that she may have had kind of a, a feeling that she was under protection also. But after those losses of the two men that she cared about, I think she was at a point of just like, whatever happens, happens.
0: Yeah, I think she woke up one morning, looked in the mirror and was like, yeah, I'm bringing hell with me now.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I think that that's definitely the case. So volunteering as a spy meant that she would have to be interviewed by a panel of high-ranking officers for the dangerous work as well as face another physical examination. But at this point phrenology was the new and kind of exciting thing so when she had the medical exam it was only the bumps and landscapes of emma's skull that were examined so the examiners were so focused on the parts of the skull that were considered to house kind of the the things that that matter to them like secretiveness and combativeness and they found those areas were acceptable so emma became a spy kind of ridiculous when you think that that's how they they chose whether or not someone was able-bodied to be a spy was by the bumps and lumps on their head
0: right well i mean that's as that time it's as good a way of judging as they had i mean they could just flip the coin too
1: yeah but a medical exam is always a good thing i mean yeah i'm just saying to make sure that everything was good in that regard so During her career, she was said to have had completed 12 missions focused on sabotage. 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 Several were especially notable. For one, she shaved her head, darkened her skin with silver nitrate, donned a plantation suit and a curly black wig, and passed into the Confederate camp at Yorktown as a slave answering to the name Cuff. Weirdly, some reports say Ned. So Ned yeah. Cuff, I don't know. Maybe she did two different situations. I don't know.
0: Well, th- I, that's never a good idea to do the blackface and try to sneak in these days. You will end up on the internet, but worked for her so.
1: Right. And when you when you go viral, it it, it won't be.
0: It like, won't be in a good way. No, 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 it won't. no. you'll have to cancel your Twitter account.
1: And- right and your morning show. And
0: And your morning show, yeah.
1: Right. So, joining with the black laborers, she hauled wheelbarrows of gravel to workers atop an eight-foot wall. The hot, sweaty work caused the silver nitrate to begin to fade. At one point, a fellow worker pointed at Emma and exclaimed that she was turning white. Emma quickly replied with, I've always expected to come white because my mother's a white woman. So... Um, but the thing is, you know, most likely the people around her were like, uh, yeah, no, but they yeah, weren't going like to turn that. her in. I mean, you know, that was just kind of like what, someone is here with us. We're not we're not going to bother turning them in. Now, um,
0: think think about the commitment that this takes. Right. You know, I, she's she just says, oh, you know what I'm going to do here? Give me that black curly wig and silver. night. I'm going to go pretend to be a slave and carry wheelbarrows for rocks around all day. Yeah. Think how bold that is. Right. I'm yeah. just going to pretend to be a slave. I'm going to put this stuff on my face and they're going to buy into the fact that I'm right. a slave.
1: Right. Yeah. No, she she seemed to be pretty fearless.
0: Yeah. And I'm going to do backbreaking work all day. If you're right. going to pretend to be somebody, right. pretend to be, you know, oh, I'm an accountant.
1: Right. Sit yeah. me at
0: this desk.
1: Right. I mean, she, she went all in, but the, the thing that's really kind of funny about this particular story, I don't know if it's true, but some of the historical accounts say that as she left after, after the silver nitrate started kind of, um, starting to, to run after that, as, she, as she was trying to get away so that no one noticed her, it actually started to rain on top of that. So.
0: Oh, great. That's, yeah. that's
1: a bad day. That's a bad Yeah,
0: day. well, at least it's not raining. <laughs>
1: uh. <laughs> oh, yeah. So after a day of all the heavy loading of gravel, Emma's wrists and hands were really, really blistered. But she ended up saving herself by talking another slave into changing jobs with her. So for the next two days, Emma moved about the camp as a water bearer.
0: So, she was a water boy for the girl for the Confederate Army.
1: Well, she was a, yeah, yeah. And she spent all that time watching, listening, and even managing to make little rough sketches of the enemy fortifications. So, during the night of the third day, she was surprised to be handed a musket and told to take a position on the picket line.
0: A picket, they were, a picket line? they? Were they organizing for better benefits and like less scratchy uniforms and shinier buttons?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that's what, yeah.
0: Carrying signs Mm -hmm. (laughs) with no more wool, no more wool. (laughs) I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I digress.
1: When an opportune moment arrived, Cuff or, or Ned slipped away to the cover of night. With a rebel musket in hand, Emma made a safe return to her own headquarters.
0: Okay, and think about this. You are dressed as now a Confederate, I suppose, with a musket. Is there really an opportune moment to be running toward the Union lines? Unless they assume she was a slave.
1: Again, you know, I she think was that, still I think she kind of runs all in. It's yeah, pretty, one of the bold. slaves
0: was like, Yeah, I don't think I'd be doing that if I were you. And she's like, ah, I'm a risk it i will <laughs> yeah, be it. fine. i will going to risk it.
1: Yeah. Well, assisted by the information provided by Emma, General McClellan bombarded the Confederate fortifications with such accuracy that the rebels were soon forced to abandon them. On other occasions, Emma slipped across enemy lines as a robust Irish immigrant woman named Bridget O'Shea and as a black female cook. Under this cover, Emma once ended up cooking at Confederate headquarters.
0: Now, see, she could have ended it all there if she had some romaine lettuce or E. coli or something like that. Yeah,
1: I'm pretty sure that the camps already had their share of E. coli.
0: Yeah, I mean, she had it right at her disposal. She could have just sprinkled it amongst the salad bar there.
1: Yeah, she could have. Within watching distance of the Confederate commander, General Robert E. Lee. So that's right where she was working. Emma was was really just pretty tough in general. Once, during a mission, she was riding a mule who knocked her off into the ditch. Then, for some strange reason, the mule fell and ended up rolling on top of her. So, this broke Emma's leg and her ribs. And
0: Do, in- do, you, th- do you think the mule just was tired of being ridden and, and the when she fell just off? Like, the I'm not going like- to
1: take it anymore. Dang it. Right. Yeah,
0: just dropped on her, gave her like an atomic elbow.
1: <laughs> right, right. feels yeah. like, We're not gonna take this. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah. done, done. Well, in fear of getting caught, Emma decided that she couldn't get treatment for her leg and she tried to just splint it herself and she just pushed through the pain the best that she could.
0: This so. woman is amazing. I mean, yeah, you, you really hear all these stories of these guys, you know, in the in wartime. I mean, but when you get into her story, right. it's like, wow. Yeah, she's- I
1: really think the only word to describe her is badass. I mean, I don't think yeah. you can really say anything other than that. So, her leg never healed properly, and this caused Emma pain for the rest of her life. On March 20th, 1863, Emma was transferred to Louisville, Kentucky. Disguised as a young Kentucky gentleman, she continued her incredible acts of sabotage. 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 Arriving at an outlying village, she found herself in the middle of a Confederate wedding in progress. The groom was a captain of rebel cavalry and on the lookout for new recruits. And the bride was a recent war widow. Stopping to ask for a bite to eat.
0: So, uh, so on top of everything else, she's a wedding crasher.
1: Yeah. She's just like, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat yeah, with the hungry. Confederates. No problem.
0: and yeah. <laughs> She's so, got broken legs, everything else. She yeah. Just,
1: yeah. She's like, I'm hungry. I got to yeah. eat. Chicks got to eat, man. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Emma was noticed by the captain and found herself integrated into a unit of mounted rebel troops. So the th- the thing about this is they asked her. I mean, they were like, "Do you do you want to be a Confederate soldier? How about you, you know, do you want to do this?" And she's like, "Uh i don't think so and they were like okay we're gonna give you 24 hours to think about it but while you think about it we're gonna lock you in this room and not give you a choice
0: exactly yeah, yeah. they weren't really asking they were-
1: right so she's like um okay i sure sure yeah, yeah i'll do and that
0: she had that suitcase full of confederate uniforms anyway <laughs>
1: Right. So you just it's go like for what
0: it. regiment do you want me to be in do you want me to <laughs> Now, do you want me to be a slave, a cook? Yeah. What do you so want, what that's is it you want not shady at all. Yeah.
1: So next day, outfitted as the Confederate trooper, she rode out to engage the Yankees, and she had no idea how she was going to get out of it. So the rebel unit came across a Union cavalry, and a fight broke out. During the chaos, Emma made it look like her horse got spooked, and. When it got spooked, it just started trotting across Union lines. So just think-
0: and, uh, Okay. Once again, yeah. here we go. Yeah. I'm just going to go over to the other, to back to my side now. Dressed as a Confederate, right. I assume. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I'm going to act like my horse is spooked and just run over toward the enemy. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. Luckily, once across, she was recognized and protected. Returning to the fight- Emma was spotted by the captain who'd forced her into rebel service. He was enraged. And well, you determined.
0: know, he's got to be mad by that.
1: Well, Right. And he was determined to skewer her on the point of his saber. So he charged forward and he did this only to receive the contents of Emma's pistol in his face. Emma shot him right in the face. And this destroyed his quite lovely Confederate mustache.
0: <laughs> he brought a saber to a gunfight. And after, I think about this, she had gone to his wedding, eaten his food, and then shot him in the face. Well, and then asked for her toaster back from the wedding <laughs> gift. But, but in all this, I mean, I think that the lesson to be learned in this is if you're going to ask people to join your team, <laughs> one of the things you should be very, very clear about is. Oh, and don't shoot me in the face.
1: Right. Well, I feel kind of bad for Dude's wife because she was a war widow. Like, her husband had just died and she was marrying this new guy. The day of, like, you know, the day after her wedding, he gets shot in the face. And she's still, you know, she's like, oh, well, I can't just. Great. And
0: she has to give the toaster back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, this whole incident garnered Emma a little bit of unwanted attention incredibly that's
0: yeah she had been trying to fly under the radar for and it's amazing that she could fly under the radar all that time anyway
1: right well she was praised for her performance but her commanders were kind of concerned about the threat of capture and not wishing to see her hanged she was barred from continuing spying in the area
0: it seemed like they were more concerned with her being hanged than she was
1: Yes, I agree.
0: Yeah, we don't want you to be shot or hanged, Emma, and she's like, uh whatever. Well just yeah.
1: Despite not wishing her to be hanged, she still had one more mission to perform. So and this was to help break up a Confederate spy ring that was operating out of Union occupied Louisville. So, passing herself off as Charles Mayberry, she got herself a a menial job with a local merchant who espoused very loud, rabidly Southern views. So, over a number of weeks, Emma gained the merchant's trust and kind of faked an interest in enlisting in the Confederate service because she'd never been through this
0: before. Yeah, Yeah. she – Yeah, I guess I'm going to be a confederate again. Can I be a corporal this time? Because (laughs) I was a sergeant the last time I've been a lieutenant. I've been, which uniforms do you want me to put on?
1: He's telling her like how hard it is to how important it is. And she's like, yeah, I was locked in a room and forced into it, but. That's cool. So yeah, the, she's
0: already been through like 10 battles in yeah, the civil war yeah. by this time. So and,
1: this merchant happily introduced her to a Confederate agent who in turn told her about a sutler spying for the South as they sold supplies to union soldiers. I feel like that's a rhyme. A settler yeah. spying for the South as they sold supplies to union soldiers and about a second Southern agent who came and went as a photographer selling pictures to Union generals.
0: That's pretty good cover there. I mean, it, you're just going in with a camera and taking a bunch of pictures and coming back and selling them to to the enemy.
1: Right. The the thing about this is though that the Confederate agent just spilled all the secrets. I mean, it was a spy yeah. ring and he just met Frank and was yeah, It like, seems
0: like they were not really good spies, right? I, I think they missed a uh, a couple classes in the training this, there.
1: Well, I mean, we are talking about people who also didn't get to use real bullets. So, well,
0: that's true.
1: So there is that. So with Emma's information, the Louisville spy ring was put out of business. And later in 1863, while posted to a military hospital near Vicksburg, Mississippi, Emma contracted malaria in order to save herself. Frank Thompson had to become a deserter and becoming a deserter was an offense punishable by death.
0: And, and it's really, you know, it's really strange. Obviously, if you get malaria, you're going to be kind of in and out and you can't count on people not taking your clothes off. So
1: that sounds very ominous, you know, punishable by death, but everything she did was punishable by death. Punishable
0: by death. So
1: it's like, one more thing, she's just like so.
0: That was like her middle name. She was Frank Punishable, punishable by, by Death, death. Thompson. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. Finally, Emma just reclaimed her identity, and she traveled to Pittsburgh, where she just decided to put on a dress and check herself in the hospital. So,
0: yeah, well, that was before she was like a running back for the Steelers for two years too. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll do this. Yeah, yeah. I haven't done that before. It's just yeah, how'd you? I, I you, this whole time, I'm just thinking, you know, she's thinking, I hope I run into my dad so I can tell him what I've done.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Because, you know, she carried that anger with her her whole oh, life. Oh,
1: yeah. You know that she, every every Confederate she shot or stabbed or whatever she did, you know, she saw his face. Yeah. So. This
0: little Scottish guy that she was shooting right. in the face. Right.
1: Right. Well, with her military career at an end, Emma used the last of her funds to go by train to Washington, where, as Sarah Edmonds, she worked as a nurse for the United States Christian Sanitary Commission. Sanitary Commission, huh? Huh. Yeah. Until the end of the war. In 1865, Emma recorded her Civil War experiences in a dramatic memoir titled Nurse and Spy in the Union Army. That's a very a very creative title right I,
0: why did the sanitary commission have to be a christian sanitary commission
1: well why could not it just be a christian commission why did it have to be a christian sanitary commission
0: i don't even know what the, i mean from the, what i'm saying is from the title of it i don't even know what they did
1: right i i don't know i guess that they just helped did they the
0: preach the gospel while they were cleaning up parks or what were they doing there <laughs>
1: I don't know. But Emma's book became a bestseller. And the sales numbers would be equal today to someone like Stephen King or John Grisham. So in spite of this, in spite of the money that she could have made, Emma donated all of her royalty earnings to the U.S. War Relief Fund.
0: I think she was going to come to regret that.
1: Well, I don't think she did. um, Because everything she did from her life, the rest of her life, was an effort to bring peace to those who suffered during the war. And, you know, keep in mind through all of this, she was Canadian. So.
0: That's true. Saying. So when they gave her all those dollars, she didn't even know, like, what what's the conversion rate on this? <laughs> I don't know. This is so, only like six loonies where I come from. Well, so I'm just I'm not saying, worried, like, she didn't it.
1: have this inherent sense of some type of American patriotism or something, you know? I mean, it's just – It's kind of amazing, really. So during this time, after she wrote the book, and she's kind of going around talking about her experiences, she came across a face from her past, and it was her friend from Canada who gave her her first suit, and his name was Linus Seeley. After her life of excitement and intrigue, Emma, now known as Sarah, started to long for the familiarity of home. And she traveled back to Canada. And Mr. Seely accompanied her. And not long after that, Sarah Edmonds became Sarah Sealy. And, and this is when you start doing research on her, it gets very confusing. Because sometimes it'll say Emma Edmondson. Sometimes it'll say Emma Edmonds. Sometimes it'll say Sarah Edmondson. Sarah Sealy. <laughs> so all of those names are correct. You have to kind of search for all of them.
0: I'm, st- I'm still hung up on the Canadian part. Like her shooting, the, you know, the stereotype of Canadians, right? And her shooting the guy in the face and like, oh, oh sorry about that, eh? You know? <laughs> oh, pardon me, eh? But you were coming at me with a saber, you know?
1: <laughs> That's kind of like an Irish-Canadian thing you had going on there.
0: Yeah, well, I, don't, I can't do can- Canadians as well, but well. sorry, eh? Didn't mean to shoot you there, eh? But uh, you were going to stab me with your saber, I thought.
1: Well, Sarah's adventures of sabotage, sabotage sabotage, may have ended, but her adventures and her tragedies in life continued. She had a lot of health problems that stemmed from her wartime injuries, and but despite this, Sarah gave birth to two boys. The first one died within 24 hours, and the second one did not live past the age of three.
0: You know, when you talk about her health problems, uh, think about that she had broken legs and malaria and things right. like that. And that's if just you what break we do your about. leg today, mm-hmm. you know they put titanium rods in and pins and right. everything else. She patched that up herself,
1: right? And we don't know what type of uh, fertility issues she may have had due to the the lack of treatment or malnourishment and and all of those things too. So yeah,
0: the silver nitrate right go ahead i'm sorry
1: um so during this time she and linus adopted two little boys actually and sarah gave birth to a little girl and due to the couple's work with the freedmen association which helped former slaves acclimate to society by helping them find jobs and homes and reuniting them with family they actually took a job housing and caring for 57 children in a Louisiana orphanage. And these were, these were mostly black children who had come from slave families and lost their parents and, and things like that. And I mean, they lived there for several years. So it frustrated me on a personal level. Like, when you research this woman, she did these incredible things in the war. But afterwards, she served in this orphanage loving on these children who had come from traumatic experiences for another like three three or four years of her life.
0: I mean, that was probably the hardest work she did.
1: I mean right. this was every day. yeah, so it's just it's amazing. After several years, Sarah's health just continued to deteriorate and she just couldn't do the job the way that she wanted to anymore. and so the family moved again. The children ended up with the measles, and sadly, Sarah's six-year-old daughter never recovered from the illness, and Sarah really never recovered from her daughter's loss. She suffered a deep, deep depression, and she just began to allow herself to c- to succumb to the health problems, but her husband, Linus, just he couldn't stand to see it and hoping to see her regain some of her former spirit prompted her to claim the status that she deserved for all of her work. So, yeah,
0: because at this point she is still Frank Thompson deserter.
1: Right. Exactly. In the
0: record books.
1: Yeah. So in 1883, Emma visited Flint, Michigan again and looked up an old army tent mate, Damon Stewart. Remember, this is the one that kind of, Helped a her her wing, yeah. Mm-hmm. So finding him from behind a desk in his dry goods store, Emma asked if he might know the present whereabouts of Frank Thompson. Damon asked, Well, are are you his mother? No, I'm not his mother, Emma answered. His sister, perhaps? Damon ventured. Emma took a pencil from Damon's hand and wrote, Be quiet, I am Frank Thompson. Damon, shocked, Finally came to the realization that she was speaking truth, ultimately conceding that the woman in front of him was as tranquil and self-possessed as his little friend Frank had been. Okay, it kinda weirds me out that his name was Damon. Like that just doesn't seem like a it doesn't a seem name. like
0: a name they had back then.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I I'm just I keep picturing like a hipster or something. Yeah, he came
0: from the suburbs before he went into the war.
1: <laughs> it's just kind of kind of different. So, when questioned about ever having suspected Frank Thompson's assigned gender, Damon answered, "Never. We I mean, we joked around about the ridiculous little boots and called Frank our little woman, but he always just took it in good fun." The label of deserter had always dug at Emma, so on her behalf, Damon contacted other men of the old 2nd Michigan and told them that Frank Thompson had turned up and that Frank was a woman named Emma Seeley. He asked them to join him in a writing campaign to seek recognition of Emma's war service with the added support of former officers and other prominent men who'd known and served with her. A sizable petition was assembled and finally submitted to the U.S. War Department.
0: You, you did not sign that petition.
1: I can, yes.
0: The guy uh, whose mustache got blown off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. probably Mustache not so much. Pete. <laughs> yeah.
1: By a special act of the Congress passed on July fifth, 1884, Emma Edmonds was granted an honorable discharge from the United States Army for her sacrifice in the line of duty, her splendid record as a soldier, her unblemished character and disabilities incurred in the service. She also received a modest cash bonus and a veteran's pension of $12 a month.
0: Now, that would be $332 in today's money.
1: Right. And this was such a huge thing. I mean, they really went to bat for her. And
0: And, I mean, really think about, think through the logistics of, first of all, you have to convince all these people, you know, Damon, the first guy, Mm -hmm. he'd have to convince everyone that one, it wasn't a joke. And two, that he was not insane.
1: Right. Well, and just to appreciate what she did. I mean, it just goes to show what she must have been like as, you know, that everyone had to have really respected her to have just taken it in stride like that at this time period, you know?
0: Yeah, but I mean, when you go in and say, hey, guys, you know, and, you know, it's not like on Today, where you could just jump on Facebook and chat.
1: Right. They had to find you. You're sending
0: letters back and Mm -hmm. forth and finding them. And he's got to convince them through letters. Right. That this person that they fought with was really a woman and they had to kind of go on faith.
1: It's amazing.
0: I mean, all these things had to fall into place.
1: Right. Well, just in another amazing thing that Emma did, the goal for the pension. The only reason she wanted it was to help fund she and Linus's goal of building a veteran's home.
0: That's that's why I said she was going to regret giving up the royalties.
1: Right. Right. Because they wanted to do that. Well, the project ended up being too big and they were not able to complete it. A lot of, of that had to do with Emma's health. And unfortunately, the couple lost most of their money investing in the very worthy cause. Throughout this time, Linus and Sarah raised the two boys, and they carried out their parents' legacies, one adopting the trade of his father as a carpenter, and the other joining the army to, quote, be like his mama. So, love that. Charles, the son that enlisted in the army, met and married a young woman named Lucy, and Lucy became the daughter of Sarah's heart. Linus and Sarah moved to LaPorte, Texas to be near to their family. Sarah actually started writing another book, and Lucy helped her transcribe it, but no one knows where it is. The rumor is that Linus let somebody borrow the manuscript at work, and they never returned it. So... It's rumored to be somewhere in Houston, Texas. Can you imagine like going? Yeah, could you
0: imagine coming across that thing? Right. Yeah. Just
1: going to a garage sale and, or like an estate sale or, you know, yeah. um, storage wars or something and just having all these papers and it's Sarah Edmonds book. I just, that would be amazing.
0: It would be yeah, it would be really amazing if those things showed up.
1: Yeah, it really, really would. So I mean, to
0: be able to read what what her thoughts were, right, and what after happened after everything. the war,
1: mm-hmm. because yeah. that's what she talked about was what she saw post war. So it would just be really nice to have that perspective. While in Texas, by virtue of her discharge and veterans' pension, she was duly accepted as full member of the Grand Army of the Republic the Union Army Veterans Organization. She's actually the only woman to carry that honor. Her last years were sadly plagued with illness, and this was attributed to the extreme conditions and exertions of her war years. They were also very difficult financially, and sometimes she was nearly destitute. But she was near her son and daughter-in-law and her grandbabies, and that brought her great joy. On the morning of September 5th, 1898, Emma's dog Jack barked an alarm that Sarah had succumbed to a stroke. First buried at Laporte, Sarah's remains were moved to nearby Houston in 1901, where she was buried with full military honors.
0: She would have been she would have been 57 years old.
1: She, it was almost her. It would have been her birthday in December. She, it, the thing that's so frustrating. They buried her with full military on, honors, but. On her grave, it has her name, and then it says that she was a nurse in the war. It doesn't even Uh describe her as a soldier. Yeah.
0: Well, history corrected that.
1: Right. Sarah Emma Edmund Seeley was a truly incredible woman, a formidable soldier, master of disguise, a compassionate nurse, an effective spy, and a dedicated wife, an incredible caretaker, and a very very proud mother. The woman whose father discounted her existence as meaningless because she wasn't a man lived a life. Most men could never imagine. And in doing so changed the course of history.
0: You can find spy stories on all the main podcasting platforms. If you like the show, please take the time to leave us a review on iTunes. You can find our discussion group on Facebook at spy stories group And you can follow us on Twitter at Spy Stories Pod.
1: The life of Sarah Edmonds reminds us, just as Harriet the Spy says, life is a struggle. A good spy gets in there and fights.
0: Keep fighting.